All right, everybody, welcome back. This is episode three of It's About Time, a DC Sports podcast. I'm Nate. I'm Josh. We're going to talk a lot about the Nats tonight and what seems to be the end of their season with 36 games left, but it's probably the end. I think you would agree. Absolutely, yes. Uh, the 12 to 1 drubbing yesterday might have been the final nail in the coffin. I texted you during the game. I said, Hey, Josh. Uh, how many more nails until this coffin's sealed shut? You think I, I think it's sealed? Oh, I mean, gorilla glue, cement. They, it's it's done. The hole's already dug. I, I would think I'm six feet deep, probably deeper. Uranium was just throwing dirt on the coffin, right? Um, that was real. The real salt in the wound <laughs> that it was Urena. That and well, that's going to be in I guess the final segment talking about him and Acuna. Uh, we're going to talk about the the skins and Alex Smith made his debut. It was one drive, but uh, through six passes. We'll talk about how we felt about that. We'll also talk about they made a signing today. It's a big name. Whether or not it's a big addition to the field, I guess we'll kind of wait and see. But we'll talk about Adrian Peterson joining the Redskins as well. But one thought I had I wanted to touch on first. I was at the 12-1 to drubbing yesterday. Again, uh, by the juggernaut that is the Miami Marlins. And uh, i got to say, a lot of angry Nats fans. There was some stuff being yelled and I, I wasn't in center field. I was behind home plate, not, you know, in the luxury seats, but behind home plate in my normal seats. And uh, I, I can't imagine what was being said in center field to Bryce Harper after three misplays. But you were saying before we jumped on, you can't blame Nats fans for being angry. No, and you you must have been around the real Nats fans. I mean, I think that they're, they're getting to the point that Caps fans got to with the Capitals. You just are completely fed up with... Whatever is going on out there. You know, it's always something. And they, it's amazing because they consistently find different ways to lose, right? There's no magic formula. They're going to they're gonna surprise you every night. They, yeah. They, they went through an eight-game stretch this past week, starting with the Sunday game against the Cubs, where they, they surprised you every night. But what yesterday reminded me of, I wanted to, I like doing these little anecdotes before we start podcasts, something that, usually it's something you and I have done together. And this took me back because I was thinking, like, good crowd yesterday, not a great crowd for a Sunday. I think enthusiasm is finally dying. Um, <laughs> the day that the enthusiasm died. But I thought back to when you and I first got season tickets to the Nationals in 2008 when the stadium opened. There was excitement at the beginning of the year, and then it slowly died. And then 2009... We had season tickets, and we had our season tickets were first row and right field, section 140. Those were great seats, by the way. They were. But the game that sticks out in my mind, June 4th, 2009, was the game that Randy Johnson won his 300th game. We were there together. We were actually there the night before. I was going to say, both nights we were there. That's right. June 3rd was actually supposed to be the game. He was slated to pitch, and ESPN was there. Sheets of rain pouring down. Quality job by the Nationals to try and get the game in. I think they took them three and a half hours to cancel it. Right. We got to about nine o'clock, and you said we're we've already we've already gone this far. Might as well wait and see what happens. And our night uh, consisted of looking into the right field grass where they had a drain, and the guy was squeegeeing water. Yep. And I kept saying to you, me being at the time, I don't think I'm there now, but the eternal optimist, oh, they'll get it in. Rain's going to clear out by 9.30 and at 10.15-ish, somewhere around there. They were literally rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. All they were doing was moving water. That water wasn't going That's anywhere. That's right. And it was coming down in sheets. So we 
We trudged back the next day. You, you, I think, were a little bit late because of work. I mean, the game started, I think, around 4 o'clock. Yeah, it was like, like a 4.05 start. Right. And even that game started, I think I read, I went back and read a New York Times article from back then. I think that game even started 37 minutes late. And uh, Randy Johnson, in front of maybe 3,000 of his closest friends, <laughs> that was those were Nats crowds back in the day. I mean, there would have been a more boisterous crowd the game before. It really dampened it. But 3,000 people at Nationals Park. He goes six innings, 78 pitches, two hits against the Nats, two walks and two Ks, gives up one earned, unearned, excuse me, one unearned run. The Nats would go on to finish the season 59 and 103, draft Bryce Harper the following June. And actually almost a year later, June 8th, is when Strasburg made his debut. And I really look at that as kind of the turning point of the franchise. San Francisco finished that year third in the NL West at 88 and 74. But it really reminded me, I'm like sitting here, expectations back then were... Don't embarrass us. And now it's... You're embarrassing us. You're embarrassing us, but you were supposed to win the division going away. You are supposed to be a World Series contender. All of those things. What a letdown. Really. You asked me last week if this is the most disappointed I've ever been. It's getting there. It's it not... will be by the time the season's over. Right. You say that we're not there yet. It will be. And I think it will be for most Nationals fans. Because you can't... What a collective bunch of losers. Right. So let's get into the Nats. That's a good segue to a collective bunch of losers. Let's segue into the Nats. They're 62 and 63 as of today. Uh, What's the 20th of August? Uh, 37 games left in the season. Not that that matters. Seven games back in the National League East. You can hear in my voice. I'm I'm done. The optimism is completely out, out of me. It's gone. There's no reason to be optimistic anymore. Yesterday now, was awful. What's sad is, based on what the Braves and Phillies did last week, they could be three games out right now. Absolutely right. If not two. Right. I mean, the Braves got swept four-game series against Colorado over the weekend. In Atlanta, they get swept. And the Phillies kind of what? Did a little wishy-washy with the Mets. Nothing special. Nobody's running away with this division. You know what the Nationals are doing? They're running away from first place. It's amazing. They went 2-5 and five this week. Yeah, they are trying really hard not even to be in it. They went 2-5 and five this week, and it now feels... Roark's come along, but it now feels like if Max Scherzer's not starting the game, the team has absolutely no chance to win. Yesterday was a debacle... We talked about in the last. We talked about last week the heartbreaking loss to the Cubs. They just continued on a roll of just gut punches this week. They follow that up Monday night with a walk-off loss to the Cardinals after tying it in the ninth, top of the ninth. They lose in the bottom of the ninth, and then Saturday against Miami, they're down four to two. They score two runs in the bottom of the seventh. And then they should have scored more. Matt Adams pops up with the runners on second and third after the wild pitch. And then Soto hits into a double play. Now, I do. I want to talk about that. Okay. Because I know that we have Davey on our list. But that entire sequence blew my mind. And FP is there sitting there talking. Oh, I think it's great. He's firing all his bullets. If I recall correctly, Weeder's pinch hit when it was first and third. Yeah, he pinched and in he for got hit. boom. He, he should have it. struck out. Right. He got lucky. Right. Why? I, I mean, I understand catcher for catcher, right? But if you're firing bullets, 
I want Adams up before I want Weeders up. If you were going to do it anyway, like, why? I mean, you've got a catcher who's hitting two, 234, five home runs. He's hitting 341 over his last 11 games, though. But still, I agree with you. And then you got, but you have Matt, Matt Adams, who's a known, proven pinch hitter. I was thinking, actually, was it first and second with nobody out, and then Weeders got hit? It could be, yeah. yeah. Whatever it was, the end result was loading the bases. My thought was, you're down two at the time, and it, and it worked out because they ended up tying, but if you're really firing all your bullets, why not put Defoe in and have him bunt? Right. Or ask Keyboom to bunt right. and save a pinch hitter. Then you have second and third one out. Then you bring Adams in. Then you roll it to the top with Turner. Right. It worked out. Weeders got hit in a foot. It worked out to tie the game. But then you think about it. Adams is still up with nobody out. And the go-ahead run on third. And the go-ahead run on third, and he pops out to short. And then what does Soto do? I must have been first and third at the time. Yep. The double play. Yeah, well, actually, I'm sorry. Turner hits that bloop single that to scores score the runner from third. Right. And then won the double play that kills the... I think if they had scored another run in that inning, they would have won the game. Yeah, absolutely. How... And that was... What a weird at-bat for Soto. Who's in a funk. But, like, a guy that, like, lives going to left. A guy that chokes up and puts the ball in play. Like, that was a very abnormal swing from him. It was a pull swing. Like, why are you taking... On the ground. He just put the ball... Put the ball in the air to the outfield and it's a run. Right, and he doesn't hit the ball on the ground a lot to the right side, and he did it that time. No. I mean, he's trying to, he swung early in the count, too, which is yeah. rare for him. So it's, it's, they consistently do everything wrong. I mean, yeah. it's, it, if you give them a situation, they will find the wrong way to do it. And there's plenty of wrong ways, and they're finding each and every way to do it. And it started really with the trade deadline. And I, I read an article today, it was a great article by Chelsea Janes in the Washington Post, that at the trade deadline prior to the Kinsler trade, the bullpen was such a position of strength that Mike Rizzo said that we can afford to lose Kinsler. Wander Suero is ready to come up. Worst case, Trevor Gott can come up. We've got Jimmy Cordero that can come up. So they traded Kinsler, and there were a myriad of reasons. They've settled on saying that it was payroll financial flexibility, and then a day later with the Sean Kelly thing, and as you stated last week, they were the Kelly and Kinsler were the two best relievers for the Nats in July. They were, by far. By far. And then Madsen, DL, Herrera, DL, and now who do you go to in the bullpen? It went from a strength to being one of the worst bullpens in baseball. Yep. And you, there's one person to blame for that, Mike Rizzo. I agree. And I think that you have a situation that you created – and you know what? Not to digress here, but this team almost kind of reminds me of the 2000 Redskins. Like all the little side stories. All, and the RG3 years where people are saying this, people are saying that. People are backtracking on what they say. Like this, this season has gone into full-on excuse mode. But you know who you never hear from? Davey Martinez. No, Davey said at the end of the game yesterday, uh, it was a, something like a disaster. I'm paraphrasing. Everybody saw it. I'd like to forget about it. Right, and so, so would we. But but the game, but the week before that, they were playing great baseball, right? They were just getting not getting the outcomes that they like. Like, is Mike Rizzo listening to himself? What baseball is he watching? I think, and you're absolutely right, top five, top ten GM in baseball, right? This year, I think he's undone everything. All the good that he's done, he's 
it's been very questionable whether or not you want to move forward with him. And I've said this before. I said it on the first podcast. It might not be the fact that he's not doing his job well, but they might need somebody else. Just someone, someone different. I, <laughs> you've got me speechless. Uh, I'm a big Mike Rizzo fan, but I agree with you. The Herrera trade looked really good at the time. He was the had a 1.05 ERA pitching as Kansas City's closer. He came over here. I don't think anybody could have ever anticipated how uncomfortable he would be changing clubhouses. And then the shoulder injury, nobody could have ever seen that coming. But again, what they did at the trade deadline, or lack of what they did maybe, can be looked back on and you could say, I don't know, man. The Kinsler trade and then the next day with Kelly, could that have been handled in-house and he could have stayed on? It seemed like it even seemed like at the time it was a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just make an example of him. But don't make an example of him by releasing him. Like, just, hey, you know what? Uh, for instance, I don't know, for those of you that are watching Hard Knocks, my new favorite show, like uh, Antonio Callaway doesn't tell them about his uh, arrest for pot and suspended license. They made him play every single offensive snap in the first preseason game. That was his punishment. I like that. He was dying. But, like, do it in-house. Like, this team is a, it's a cluster. Apparently, they tried to do it in-house. Madsen, oh, I'm saying Madsen and Scherzer got in Kelly's face after the game. Uh, but Rizzo made, it was Rizzo's decision. He has said it was his decision, and he said... He showed up our manager, you're either with us or you're against us, and he just booted Kelly. I would have got a new manager halfway through the year. I mean, it's not working. It's, no. I, I, and I'm a broken record. But it's this has to be... It's, I'm an Orioles fan, and that's like 300 baseball right now. But it's tough for me to watch Nationals games because you're just waiting for them to not get the key two out hit, to make an error in an unfortunate situation, to walk home a run. To not be able to get a bunt down. To not hit a sacrifice fly. Like, normal baseball stuff, they can't do anymore. Maybe that's a byproduct of the shift, and maybe that's a byproduct of players adjusting. Like, you just don't... Maybe baseball's not played the way it used to be, right? But these guys are professionals, and I'm using air quotes. And if he wanted to get rid of Kelly, he wanted to get rid of Kinsler, they should have just sold. Because I think it's going to be comical what they get for Murphy, I think he's definitely gone. And I would love to see Harper go to get anything. But you're not going to get the five-player haul that the Orioles got. And I use haul loosely because they got a top one top ten prospect. But he's going to help somebody. And I think his value... He, you might actually get more. I should take that back. Because he's definitely... He's played a much better second half. Murphy and, and th- Harper, since the All-Star break, have improved their value. And that's... Something I did want to talk about, but real quick, just to really talk about how bad they've been in crunch time. They're 14 and 15 since the All Star break, but the biggest thing all year, they're 12 and 21 in one run games. Now, just to throw it out there, and I'm not going to be a person that says uh, definitively that under Dusty this would be different. We've talked about this. I think that Dusty would probably have the team in a better position. But in the two years with Washington, in one-run games, his record, 56-40. and 40. You know what that is? It's a 95-win pace in one-run games. Davey is 12-21. and 21. And I think one-run games, more 
than almost any other measurable statistic, that's where you see what a manager is doing. Because that's when all of their decisions are magnified. And I do think as we move to where does the blame fall, I think Rizzo deserves some of the blame. And it's hard for me to say that. I'm a big Rizzo guy, pom-pom guy for Rizzo. Some of the blame definitely falls on Davey. I, I think one thing I read today, Mark Zuckerman pointed this out, was that it wasn't so much injuries. Everybody deals with injuries. The Nationals have had more than their fair share. It was that the injuries were to a select part of the team at certain times. Early in the season, it was to the lineup. Murphy, Eaton, Zimmerman, Kendrick, Weeders. Those guys start to come back. And then around late May, early June, you lose Strasburg and Hellickson, and your starting rotation goes to hell. And then after the All-Star break, you trade away two relievers, and then you lose Doolittle, Herrera, and Madsen, your three best relievers. Just like that. So it's been injuries, but it's been the fact that a third of whatever, if you're talking about starting pitching, relief, and then lineup, one of those three has been directly impacted in each phase of the season. Now that, again, other teams deal with it, but that's certainly played. If we're talking about who's to blame, you've got Davey, you've got Rizzo, and then you've got the injuries, certainly. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're, we're probably reading the same article by Chelsea James today talking about how Kinsler basically told on himself. He came out and said, I think mid-July, that I, I was the one that was complaining about the way that he's running the bullpen. Right. I think it's obvious. Like, you can't... If you're sub-500 in one-run games, you're not making the playoffs. That's pretty much guaranteed. Yeah. Well, like that's, that's your season. That's, and one-run games are when managers matter, right? That's You need to start pulling the... Pulling the right strings. And this goes back to what you said, the Nats don't pay managers. Maybe it wasn't time to experiment on a new manager. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. Just like it wasn't time in 2014 to experiment. It worked out because their team was so good and the division was so bad, but then it really glared. It was glaring in the playoffs because Williams was way outclassed. Matt Williams was way outclassed. And then the next year, the Papa Bond thing and all that stuff. But if you look, 12-21 and 21 run, one-run games... If you flip it, they're in first place if they're 21 and 12. But if you just have it, right, and they're 17 and 16, they're two games out as opposed to being seven games out. It's a huge difference. Five little games. So we talk about what's ahead this week. The Nats have a – people are calling it a big three-game series at home against Philly. I think it's probably time. I had a question here. Is it too early to write an obituary on the season? Uh, me personally, absolutely. But, you know, we're going to try and be upbeat here. We're going to be energetic about it. I think if they get out of August four games back, they got a chance. Because you've seen that I don't think either of these teams want to run away with right. it. Boswell wrote today in his article, 07 Mets had a seven-game lead with 17 to play, and they didn't make the playoffs. I'm trying really hard right. not to just blatantly laugh at you. But, yeah, man. No, hey. hey, four games back. We got a chance. 2011 Braves and the 2011 Boston Red Sox, respectively, went 8-18 eight and 7-20 and and down the stretch. And both, Smiths, both missed the playoffs. Thank you, Mr. Boswell from Washington Post. So, if we're talking about rose-colored glasses, 37 games left. What's it take, aside from the other two teams just falling off the face of the earth? How many wins do the Nats need in their next 37? 30? Would that do it? What a terrible division. I'm going to say 25. Wow. 25 and 12 does it? Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. I mean... (laughs) 
There's no chance on that. Not, well, no. That's the other. I mean, we're not talking about whether they can do it. That's what it would take. Uh, 28-9, I think, is at minimum, is what it would take. Which is even the joke. Because at that point, the Braves would really only have to play, what, three games over five hundred, and they win the division. Yeah. I mean, my guess is... Even if they were able to pull that off, they would have blown their load before the playoffs. That's right, probably. Um, but so the Nats have three games at home this week against Philly, and then they um, have three at the New York Mets. Phillies are obviously here for three, and then three games in Toronto. Atlanta has three games against the Pirates, and then four games against that juggernaut of the Miami Marlins, where knowing Atlanta, they'll probably sweep the Marlins, whereas we went one and two. Marlins win their first series in Washington. Since 2014, that was a bit of a gut punch. Um, one thing I found very interesting, I was looking at who's been hot since the All-Star break. Bryce, Zim, Murphy, and Tanner. I mean, Bryce is hitting 350, 436 on base percentage, 650 slugging. He's got seven bombs since the break. Zim, 309, 392 on base, five homers. Murph, 340, 370 on base, five homers. But let's talk about this. All right. Last week, we talked about why Juan Soto is not hitting second or hitting up towards the top of the lineup, right? Right. Who has been ice cold recently. Ice cold. Which for him is a 357 on base percentage, but he's been... That's, last, that's down for him, though. That's right. down almost 100 points, no, right. last 75 points. Right. And in his last 14, he's batting 182, though. Right. So that's what you're talking about. So now what do we do? Let's move him up to the two-hole. I mean... Are we in Bizarro World? Like, has it gotten so comical that, you know what? I'm just going to try and shake things up. I should have done this a lot earlier, but now I'm going to do it because I'm reactive. When it's far too late. Like, and I give, I hated Dust. Dusty, great regular season manager, did not think that he pulled the right chords and strings in the playoffs. Looking back, man, I, I wish he was here. I mean, he'd still screw him over in the playoffs. But At least Davey there. Martinez just does the exact opposite of what you should do every time like i'm fairly certain we could pull somebody off the street one of those people that was complaining and they'd get either the same results or better results it really seems like right now and i don't know if this is on him or if it's a combination of him and the bullpen but it seems like whoever he brings in is the wrong choice yeah i mean that's where it's at right right the bullpen since the all-star game 29 games they have a 4.80 ERA and 86 in their third innings pitched. Here's the big thing. A 1.448 whip. That means in three innings, they're allowing f- almost five base runners yeah, every three innings. Recipe for Strong, wins. Strong, baby. 27 walks, only four saves. That, that's the story. That combined with Geo in his last six starts, 7.03 ERA and 32 innings. 24 Ks and 19 walks. 19 walks. And a 1.844 whip. That's almost two runners an inning. It's it's recipes for disaster. Oh, it really is. It is. And those are things, Geo especially, you can't blame on Davey. The bullpen, it seems like yesterday, yesterday I was watching a game, and Geo was clearly, he had lost it, right? Bases were loaded, and it was 4-1. to one. And I said to my dad, it was a, I think it was the fifth inning. I said to my dad, he's got to go get him now because the next swing, it's going to be at least six to one. And what happens? He doesn't get him. 
It's a, it's a soft liner down the first baseline that's just out of Adams' reach. And what is it? Six to one. But he goes and gets Holland. And what's Holland do? Gives up another base hit. And then it's eight to one. So it, it really, for, for a little bit, seems like damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think everybody's checked out. Oh, I agree. I think that they've quit. I, they, they're dejected. They're totally dejected. It was an eight-game stretch of just... It, it's just demoralizing. I don't think the Kelly and Kinsler situations helped the team. I think that, if anything, it, people are like, what are you guys doing? Right. So, Murphy and Bryce have been placed on revocable waivers, which people are like, oh, that's normal. No, it's not. It means normal, but, you know. What should they do? Should they trade them? Absolutely. I hope they get something for them. Here's my thought. I think... That you you tra- I think you are probably at the point now. I don't know if it's now or if it's after the three game series against the Phillies, but you're at the point now where Murphy and Bryce can bring you something. Geo's not going to bring you anything. I mean, if you're talking about guys that are free agents at the end of the year, Geo's not going to bring anything. Madsen's on the DL, Herrera's on the DL, but Murphy and Bryce can bring you something, and you're not going anywhere. Why not make the last 37, or if it's after the Phillies series, 34 games, why not make it about figuring out what you have in a Robles and a Carter Keyboom, the top shortstop prospect at AA Harrisburg, if you unload Murphy and Bryce, and I love Daniel Murphy. He's actually one of the free agents I think that they should resign if the money's right, because in two years you could put him at first base because Zimmerman's contract will be done. But... If you send Murphy and Bryce out, it opens up an outfield spot for Robles. In second place, base, you can put Keyboom. So why not? They won't do it. No, they won't do it because it's a waving the white flag. But why, but why not? I mean, if you're just... Take that out of it. Why not do it? Is there a reason not to do it? Absolutely not. The smart baseball move is to do it. See what you have. I mean, they brought up Jeffries Rodriguez, who I think they should keep in the rotation the rest of the year. See what you have in him. Yeah. Let Fetty or Cole pitch the rest of the year, too. Well, Cole's gone. Yeah, that's right. Cole is Cole's gone. Cole's with the Yankees. But Fetty, well, Fetty's on the DL. But Tommy Malone, a retread, get rid of him. He's garbage. He's garbage. I mean, he, yeah, he was a hero yesterday. He ate up a bunch of innings, gave up a bunch of home runs. Get rid of him. If you've got arms, Jeffrey Rodriguez should stay in. Strasburg's back tomorrow, okay? Rodriguez should stay in the rotation. Even if Hellickson comes back, Rodriguez should stay in the rotation. Forget Hellickson. He's gone after this year. I mean, I like the guy. He gives you five solid. If, it, if the money's right, bring him back as a fifth starter. But you're only going to get him two times through the rotation. Third time through, he's absolute garbage. He falls apart. That's what they should do. I think that that's what they... I, I'm at that point where I really think you salvage what you can get. Bryce is one of the hottest hitters in baseball since the All-Star break. Murphy, same thing. Get something. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I was curious, so I did a little bit of research on the biggest post-deadline waiver trades. Because I was curious. I was like, you know, you know, does anything really happen? Can we expect a massive trade? And then, I, you know, you come to find out Bagwell, Smoltz, Justin Upton last year, that massive trade between the Red Sox and the Dodgers that sent Beckett, Gonzalez, um, Crawford, and Crawford there. All those post-deadline deals. Wasn't Verlander a post-deadline deal August 31st last year? Yep. Like with 
15 seconds left, he made the decision to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's not unheard of. No. No. And they Larry still, Walker. I mean, it goes on and on. Like, they can... it. The framework's there. They can do this. And they still have 11 days to do it. So they don't have to jump now. But really, September should be reserved, especially, like you said, if they get to four games back in the next 11 days, fantastic. But they probably won't based on the way that they're playing. So if you're still where you are, treading water at six, seven games back, September should be, let's, it should be what rebuilding teams do. Let's see what we have in the minor leagues. I agree 100%. I think that with well, Leon Martin in the hospital with some disease, bacterial infection, Cleveland makes a perfect trade partner. It did before the deadline, but even more so now because who knows when, if he plays again this year, right? Plus, Bryce could literally put them over the top, where right now Cleveland's the fourth best team in the American League. Correct. I think that trade would be more important. Or maybe fifth best. To the team than Machado to the Dodgers. More important to the Indians. Yes. Oh, totally. Especially the way Bryce has been playing. He's found his swing again. He's got his confidence back. Um, Plus, you're seeing pitchers that don't know how to pitch to him. Not that they don't know how to pitch to him. But they see him less frequently. Oh, in the American League. Right. Your research is going to be less. Correct. And he's also now shown the willingness to go backside, Mm -hmm. which if he's willing to take his singles and occasionally doubles to the gap, and he's still willing to take his walks, he's as dangerous as any hitter in baseball. What happened to him this year is he got away from it. He got away from it. He got pull happy, tried to hit the balls out, was trying to hit it over the shift instead of hitting it away from the shift. No, I agree. And Daniel Murphy... If Murphy's back to being Murphy, again, he's one of the guys, and we'll talk about this down the road as opposed to who we bring back, what do they do in the offseason. If you can only bring back one, I think it's Daniel Murphy. I agree. Professional hitter. He's a professional. Very Jason Worth-like, right? Right. And he's he's a professional. He is. And it's only one more year with him at second base, so Carter Keyboom can stay in the minors for another season. I like Wilmer Defoe. I don't think he's the future at second base. He's a good utility guy. He can play third, short, second. Maybe get him some reps in the outfield. He could be like a reserve outfielder. But Murphy, in two years, when Zimmerman's contract is up, and most likely Zim will retire, I don't think he'll play for another team. Hope so. Right. I Murphy, perfect candidate for first base. Prolongs his career. And he's his bat, his swing is so simple. He can hit well into his late 30s. Absolutely. I'll tell you what. You know what would be a dream scenario? Trade Bryce and somehow package in Ryan Zimmerman. <laughs> Just get rid of that contract. I'll tell you this. Getting rid of that contract is going to be tough. He's been amazing since coming off the DL. Good Ryan is really good. Bad Ryan is really bad. Yeah. FP talks about that a lot, which is Zimmerman's a very streaky hitter, and when he's on, he does not miss but when he's off, he misses a lot. Do you think the organization owes it to him to trade him to a contender to try and win a World Series? Because that's certainly not going to happen here. No. I think if he had his druthers, I think that he would want to retire a national. I think he's so far into it. What's this, his 14th or 15th season with the Nats? He's drafted in 05, 14th yeah. season. Uh, I think he he wants to be a lifelong Nat. I think he... He's, if you look at his career numbers, I don't have them in front of me. They put him up on the TV the other day. Two, 280 career hitter, 
I think he's is he closing in on 300 home runs? You're looking it up. He's been a very good major leaguer, and if he had stayed healthy, he'd be a, probably a borderline, probably on the outside looking in, but pretty close to being. Uh, what, what's he at? 261 career home runs. Okay, but I'm saying if he had stayed healthy, how many seasons did he lose to injury? Three or four? I mean, there's tons of ifs. I'm saying if, but come on. What if Tony Caligari didn't get hit in the eye? What happens if Len Bias lived, man? Then the Celtics win more titles? I don't know. That's We're going off on a tangent there. Um, the last thing I'm going to bring up about the Nats, Bryce had this quote yesterday after the game. I'm going to paraphrase it. I didn't write the whole thing down. He said, I just want to know what your reaction is to this. I am not bashing him for saying this, but I want to know the Josh reaction I want because we all know how Josh feels about Bryce. He says, we've always been ahead at this point. For me and everyone in the clubhouse, we should be excited. Do what we can do and get hot for the playoffs. And that's a paraphrase. It was more to the quote. Oh, it's okay because FP was touting that too. What a great place to be in. We can chase. They're a bunch of idiots. Why would you not want to be up in cruise then? Right. I mean, I mean that's it, that's so stupid to say. Oh, yeah, we're gonna tra- we're gonna chase them down. But yeah, the last ten days have been pretty bad. <laughs> Devil's advocate. It's great that in if there are people, I don't know if he actually believes it, but if there are people in the clubhouse that believe that they can go on a sixteen and four run in the next twenty games and put themselves back into contention, from the outside looking in, I just don't see how it's possible. Uh, if Max Scherzer said that, I'd believe it. I don't believe anything Bryce says. I mean, his his lack of hustle on certain plays says everything. In fact, like there's a person who needs to get back. Like, that's a person who needs to be put in his place. That's Davey's the wrong manager for that because Davey... Oh, you mean Mike, Mike Rizzo. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike Rizzo loves Bryce. They say that the learners think of Bryce as a, a son slash grandson. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week. Uh, last question for you on the Nats. A week from today when we're doing episode four, is Bryce Harper a Washington National? I hope not, but yeah, I'm sure. They're not going to get rid of him. What about Daniel Murphy? I think it's going to be hard to find a trade partner for him. I think if he does get traded, he moves into a DH role. I'm going to throw out like maybe Seattle. Seattle would be a good fit for him. Uh, but that would be like a bench roll because you have Nelson Cruz. Yeah. I well, can't they don't have him. a second base. Well, I guess D. Gordon would be their second baseman. Yeah. But you could move D back to the outfield. Right. And put Daniel Murphy at second. I think you don't see him go to a National League team. Probably not. Is would be my guess. Yeah, I can't think of a team that that's outside. Well, inside the division either that would need him. Like if you could flip him for like Jason Kipnis, and hope maybe a change of scenery reinvigorates him for Kipnis yeah I mean he's not I think he's a career Cleveland guy yeah so but again I'd, I'd like to see them keep not keep Murphy you know what let Murphy go and, and then, then resign, re-sign him. him yeah totally All I right. think that was a conversation you had with I think that's what you that's the conversation you have with Bryce I think and not to go over or go on a tangent it's the same conversation the Orioles should have had with Adam Jones that said hey I need you to take one for the organization but I promise you, you're back here next year. You're going to get your deal to finish out your career. But let me get something in return to help us rebuild. You're a rental. Go chase a World Series with the Phillies. But he turned it down because of the 10-5 and five rights. Right. 
So, you know, I think, like, just have an honest conversation with someone. It's a business, right? No one should get butt hurt because you decided that you need to make a business move. Like, it's not personal. Nothing's personal about this. Although, I think the Nats have gotten personal. I think they got personal with Kinsler, and I think they got personal with uh, Sean Kelly. And I think that is a leadership issue that needs to be dealt with in the offseason. No, I think Rizzo I think Rizzo got a little ahead of his skis there. I think that he I don't want to go I don't want to go too far over the time that we allotted for this, but I as I read that article by Chelsea Janes and thought about it, that's a move that you make and we talked about this before with Kelly and Kinsler, mainly Kelly. That's a move that you make when you don't have faith that your manager can police the clubhouse. And I think that he got, I think Rizzo got a little big for himself. And he said, I got to defend my man, uh, my manager and I have to defend my clubhouse. And he dumped, he, he, he dumped two guys that he could have really used this time of year. Can you think of any other recent teams that that's happened to? I was trying to place it. The Red Sox last year under John Farrell, all year they talked about Farrell's gone and they won the division last year. But then they got embar- uh, pretty much embarrassed in the playoffs against Houston. But yeah, I mean that's the closest I can I can think of. Yeah, I mean, what a show, right? I think that wraps up the Nats. I think that's pretty good. One last question, okay? Do you think the Capitals winning did something to their psyche? No. I I, I can't see that. I, I you think put more pressure on them because the Capitals aren't a disappointment anymore. You, no. had a, you had a city of disappointment. You did. Now you have a city of champions currently for like champion, another team. singular. No, I could say champions. <laughs> okay. Um, no, Washington I, Castles. I don't, I'd have to think about that more, but I don't think so. Washington Castles. The Castles. DC United's got a few titles, and they, they're going to be a contender again this year. So, um, All right. I'll think about that. We'll talk about that next week. I like that question. I just, I don't know. I have to think about it. But yeah, we'll... Uh, We'll wrap up the Nats. We'll get into the Redskins here in a minute. All right, Josh, let's talk about the Redskins. Let's get a little upbeat. Let's get a little excited. Let's talk about something that they haven't uh, disappointed us yet. So let's talk about that. Um, Alex Smith made his first appearance. He was four for six, 48 yards. Simple question. What did you think of our new quarterback? I'm all in. Let's All do week it. One baby, let's do it. No, uh, so, no. Seriously, how'd you feel? Good. Yeah. I like. I mean, it's. You could tell he had pocket presence. I liked him going through progressions. Good zip on his throws. Tight spirals. Like he looks like a professional NFL quarterback. He does. I, I had some thoughts watching that first drive. It's really the one of the only drives of meaning in that game. And I thought to myself, it felt very similar. We've talked about this in the past. Kirk Cousins. Alex Smith, there are a lot of similarities, but in some ways it felt different. He had better command of the offense, I think, which is crazy because he's been with the offense for a few months. And the decisions were right. The zone read, which he can run significantly better than Kirk Cousins, was great to see. But the part that felt the same is that they stalled in the red zone. Not that that matters in a preseason game, but they stalled in the red zone. Personally, I would have liked to see three fades. Just really cram it down their throat. I want to see them work on that play in game situations. So yeah. They can execute. Absolutely. But he did throw a slant into the end zone, and it should have been caught. That was about 
That was, was not a, the best throw. No, it was behind him. But he was behind him. But they brought up a good point. Like he needs to fight for like that's more on the receiver, almost boxing out the DB. Like he needs he needed to get his body in position to catch that ball, even though it was a little behind him. Um, that's probably his worst throw. Yeah. So four for six. He looked tight. They got him out of the game. How much do you think he should play this week, Friday against the Broncos? Two halves. Two half. Two quarters. <laughs> two halves would be a whole game. <laughs> One half. Cut it in half and then double it. Okay. Strike that. Reverse it. Uh, yeah. I felt. I thought the offensive line looked good, even without Trent Williams. Uh, outside of the first play from scrimmage, where Alex Smith got pile drived. Is that it? Pile drived into the into the turf. Other than that, he had plenty of time. Not that the Jets were running some exotic pass rush scheme, but uh, I felt all in all pretty good. You know, again, I felt the same thing in the first game as I feel now. They look well coached. They look well coached. Um, he looks comfortable in the pocket. He moves around well for you know an old man. Vernon Davis looks like he's twenty five. Right. A couple quotes here actually. Uh, a Vernon quote. He, he said. Team has everything you're looking for in a group. No egos, which is rare for the Redskins. Usually you have big names. They expect big things. Vernon Davis, he's, he said no egotistics, but there are no egos in the locker room. You I mean, mean like Adrian Peterson? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing is that somebody said earlier today, I don't know who to credit it to, but you have this tight what seems to be a pretty tight locker room, you bring in an AP, what could that do? I think it'll be fine. I think the, regardless of the outcome of signing him on the field, I think Darius guys should just absorb everything possible he can from AP. Absolutely right. I agree with that. Trent Williams, huge fan of Adrian Peterson. I think that's the reason Peterson is here and not Jamal Charles or one of the other potential suitors that would have been just a retread. Yeah, I think I think he could have a decent year. I think he could get back to four plus yards a carry. I mean, he had two games last year where he ran for what, like two ninety seven. I think he had a hundred and fifty three yard game against the Forty ers and then was the second. He might have had a good second game against the Seahawks. I think that sounds right. Yeah, I don't. But it was over a hundred yards. It was a hundred yards on both of them. Um, and he hasn't played a lot no. since his, I mean, he's 33, he's old, but since 2014, he has played a total of 29 games. You say he's 33, he's old. We're both older than him, but For running backs, <laughs> running backs are basically dead. <laughs> no, that's right. So last year he had 3.4 yards per carry in 10 games. He had 156 carries and two touches. His last real season of impact was 2015. Four and a half yards per carry, 1,485 yards. That's a good season. So he's two years removed from being an impactful running back. I liked him better than Jamal Charles, who's two years younger, who had last year had a higher yards per carry, 4.3, but only 296 yards and a touchdown. And his last season of meeting was 2014, and that was only 206 carries, although it was five yards per carry. Jamal Charles is a lot like what we have in Chris Thompson. Right. The more he touches it, the higher risk of him getting hurt. Correct. And I think Adrian Peterson will... I, I think... I love our offensive line. I think that the offensive line is going to win the point of attack. And I don't even care if he, if he averages three and a half yards a carry. Guess what? Instead of second and ten, 
you're looking at second and six, second and seven. So you're you know you're on schedule, you're on pace. And we've talked about this before. Jay's offense only requires the threat of a run, not an actual five plus yards per carry running back. I think we've proven that quite well. Yes, I think we have. I think AP's a good first and second down back. Chris Thompson will get the lion's share of third down. I like Capri Bibbs. I do too. I think we talked about you. You're a big fan of his. We talked about the running backs. The reason for AP, there were more running back injuries. Um, Marshall's out at least at least two weeks with an ankle. They said he's questionable for week one. P. Ryan, same thing. Ankle issue, questionable for week one. They had to go this route. I mean, Thompson even remains questionable for week one. Has not set foot on a preseason field. Who knows what he's going to give you week one. You had to go out and get somebody. He's a big name. If you had to look into your crystal ball, what's he do for us this year? I say us. I'm not up on the team. What's he do for the Redskins this year? I think if you get more than 500 yards out of him, you got a good year. I think first game's motivation, right? Arizona. Against his quote-unquote former team. Yeah. Right. Hey, they, they cut him. He was on a two-year they deal. Did. Yeah. Because they acquired the two-year deal from the Saints. So, I I mean, you know, you could. You might get an FU game out of him. And again, threat of the run. I mean, if he can give you 10, 15 carries a game, you, you kind of platoon him with Rob Kelly. I think that's enough. For this team, if the rest of the skill players stay healthy, I think it's enough for this team to have a above-average functional offense. Personally, yeah, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, now he's a complete package. And Trent Williams has said, Trent Williams had a quote. Again, this is a paraphrase. He said, "Speed." Some people are just born with it. He said, "Did Daryl Green ever slow down?" No, I don't think so. I mean, I think he got a step slower. He said, "AP is just a different animal." Now, they played at Oklahoma together. Obviously, they have a personal relationship. But Trent is a huge fan of AP. And you know what? I'm going to trust Trent. He's been a constant for us. I think he's an all-time great Redskin. I think he'll go down as one of the best linemen we've ever had. And that's saying something, considering we are the home of the Hogs. Uh, one thing, other another quote that I read today. And again, preseason is always, there are always rose-colored glasses. There are always, things are great. It's a season of optimism. It, everybody's a zero and zero. But Alex Smith said, I think we have a bunch of guys who are all in. And he said, I've been in, uh, clubhouse is the wrong word, that's baseball. I've been in locker rooms where that hasn't always been the case. And I think he's being honest. I think he sees a group of guys you don't have that many huge names. I mean, off the top of your head, Top few names. Alex Smith's got to be one of them. Josh Norman's another one. Kerrigan. Kerrigan. But Kerrigan's, is he big around the rest of the NFL? Probably not. Maybe right. DJ Swearinger. DJ Swearinger. Just because he's the mouth. Yeah. Mouth from the South. Um, so I th- I think that they've built some chemistry. Whether that'll translate to wins or not, I don't know. I do think they're well coached. I think I... I'm surprised at myself. I think that part of this is also because the Nationals have really tanked. I actually feel a lot of optimism and excitement for the Redskins season. I think that they have a chance to shock some people and could potentially be in the running for probably a wild card. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna do anything against the Eagles, even though the Eagles lost Nick Foles this week. Although they say he's okay, but I, I think that they could shock some teams and maybe win nine, ten games. Yeah. I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. I don't either. Uh, some other observations I had during the preseason game. I don't know how you feel about this. 
it doesn't look like Trent Williams is going to dress until week one. I'm fine with that. He's an old pro. I think that he could literally, it's like riding a bike. He could, he doesn't need in-game action to be ready. No, he just needs to stop the human coming at him. Or two. That's right. Or three sometimes. That's fine. If he gets to the second level against a linebacker, he's doing a good job. I mean, he can crush a safety or a DB. So. Along those lines, I really like the visual. They showed it a couple times. Alex Smith, after his one drive that he played, he's standing next to Brandon Sheriff and Trent Williams. And they're talking, and it looks like they've got a good relationship. I like that. I don't know why. I don't remember what Kirk was doing in the games when he wasn't playing. But I feel like Alex Smith has more presence with the team visually and probably tangibly than Kirk Cousins did. Absolutely. From what I can recall, and this could be totally wrong, but in my mind, I just remember him a lot on the, on the bench with the surface, looking at video with Colt and then the quarterback coach. I think. No, that's that. That feels about right. Uh, I I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't bet any money on it, but I think it feels about right. And you know, they could have been going through. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think that they're more more bought into Alex Smith. I think a lot of people were tired of Kurt's bullshit on the the year deals, the year deals. Like everybody knew he didn't want to be there, right? Chris Thompson said that. This I think it was Chris Thompson. He said that there's always been something. You know, we had the Kurt contract, and it. it they didn't say it at the time, but it had a lot of effect. And now they feel like with Alex Smith, let's get up and go. Right. Because this guy's here, and he wants to be here. This is probably Alex Smith's last team, and he's a 13-year pro, former number one overall pick. He's been a winner just everywhere that he's gone. I mean, it took him a while to get going in San Francisco, but he was a winner there. Kansas City, he turned them around. I, yeah, I can't believe this. I'm actually starting to feel a little optimism. I hope that two months from now I don't feel like a like I feel now with the Nationals. Oh, no, you definitely will. No, probably. I mean, everything's going to fall apart. All right. Another thought I had, I really hope, I think this is probably the case, I really hope Jay is only showing the vanilla offense because it's a lot of inside gives and oh, simple fine. routes. I think, yeah, that's, I'm fine with that. The games are, again, we talked about this, beat it in a nauseam last week. Hard to watch. Here's a question for you. It's a two-tiered question. One, who returns kicks and punts? Two guesses, and they're both questionable to make the team. I say I would give it to Bibbs or Quinn. Okay. I like Quinn. Um, Cam Sims? Maybe. It's a tough call, man. Can Richardson do it? He's got the speed for it. I can't remember if he's ever done it before. But you want to put your deep threat out on kickoff returns? Oh, see, here that, that leads me to my second question. Why would any team ever return a kickoff? You're getting it at the 25. Most teams are content to kick it deep. And if you do bring it out, 50% chance you're going to get a holding or a block in the back penalty. Why would any team ever return? Unless you had to get big yards. Right. Well, I think teams have now figured that out, leading with the Patriots, right? They've figured it out that you kick it to the three. Pooch it to the three or two, right. two or three, yeah. So you have to return it, and right. then you can just blow everybody up. Right. So, I mean, you know, that's, again, the Patriots just being a, smarter than everyone. It's what they are. They're, they are more intelligent and know how to use the rules in an advantageous way. Right. Um, I just don't understand. I don't think who returns kicks matters. I think 80 90% of the time you should be taking a knee. Unless it's late in the game and you need big yards. I think getting it at the 25, how many kickoff returns end up better than the 25 or end up tangibly better than the 25 at the 35 or 40? Not many. No. And how many times do you go, oh my God, no. 
why is he doing that? And then he gets blown up and you get the ball in the 12. Right. So punt returns are the big one. Jamison Crowder better not touch a punt this year. Mr. Fumble Ruski, keep him healthy and inside on the slot. Um, I wouldn't mind if Quinn did it. Uh, here, here's a question. We talked about this in private. Might as well talk about it in public. Does this defensive front seven have the potential, or are they currently the top eight in the top five in the league? Not currently in the top five. Can prove that they will be. I mean, they've got some talent. You're talking about Payne, Allen, Kerrigan, Zach Brown, Mason Foster, Preston Smith. Preston Smith. I, I think, yeah, they certainly, if Payne and Allen, A, stay healthy, B, if Allen takes a step, and Payne is who we think he can be. I think if Preston Smith plays like he a contract year, yeah, like he probably will. Year. Yep. Yeah, I think they could be a top five front seven, and then that just makes their defensive backfield that much better. So here's my question. Here's my Vinny Serrato, Washington Redskins question. My out of left field question: Should they make a move for Khalil Mack? And before you answer. Here is what Cleo Mack has done in the last three years. Ten and a half sacks last year, 11 sacks in 16, 15 sacks in 2015. He's made Pro Bowl in, all the, last, in the last three years. He was first team All-Pro in 2015 and 2016 and was the 2016 Defensive Player of the Year. And according to Adam Schefter, as of August 16th, there's been no movement reported. reported. The Raiders are making absolutely no progress with him. He is gettable for the right price. Would you do it? For the right price. And what's the right price? I would trade... I could give up two second rounders for him. Two twos? Two two twos. Two twos. What would you give up to acquire him? Two twos sounds good to me. And I think that should be enough to move them. Especially, we don't know what they're internally thinking, but especially if they think there's no chance that they can get him back in there. Or if they have no desire to pay him what he wants to be paid, they definitely don't. I don't. They have zero desire to pay him what he wants. Right. And honestly, if I were to do it, the only way I'd do it is if I could stagger him. I would do a nineteen and a twenty-one, not a 2019, 2020. Oh, so you do a, a two, two and nineteen and a two and twenty-one. Two, yeah. I I think I place a higher value on draft picks than you do. I put a lot of value on draft picks, but what I do is this. Also, the way I look at it. This team has actually drafted, the Redskins, I should say. Very well. Have drafted very well recently. I mean, the fact that we felt like the sky was falling because our second round running back went down with a knee injury shows you they've drafted pretty well. Deron Payne in the first round this year, Jonathan Allen in the first round last year. They've essentially made what was a weakness, a strength in the defensive line. They're doing a great job. So I would like to see them with ammunition, but people trade draft picks when the player can make a heavy impact, in my opinion, Khalil Mack could instantly make you a top five defense. And that could be enough to move this team from a potential seven to nine win team, seven to nine wins, to a nine to 11 win team. And to me, that's worth exploring. The difficult thing is gonna be this, it's two negotiations. It's negotiating compensation to the Raiders and then you have to negotiate an extension to Cleo Mack. What happened? I uh, just, you know, I was out of curiosity, pulled up Sue Cravens. Oh, 
And there is a lovely article. Yeah, the ugly divorce? Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me that Cleo Mack just got traded to somebody or just reported to camp and then this whole conversation's for naught. No, 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 absolutely not. But I think um, I, I think it is two negotiations. It's compensation of the Raiders and then I think you have to get a long-term deal with Mack done and that, that could be too difficult to get done. Uh, I mean, you could also bring Mack in, but he's not going to play because he doesn't want to be franchised. Uh, so I think you have to do both. I think for the right price, two twos. I, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with them giving up a one. I don't. I don't think so. If it's a one three years from now, what if you gave up a two that next year and a one in twenty twenty one? No. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm just broken from RG three. Yeah, that was a lot of draft picks. It was and, a lot. It's a lot of draft picks. A lot of draft picks. And then also, they've done a really good job of drafting. They and have. The Eagles is is always moving younger. It's just like baseball, younger, cheaper, controllable talent. So, I just, I don't know, man. Max, one of those guys that you have to think to yourself. You have to think to yourself, he's a game changer. And he's one of a very few game changers at that position. And with Preston Smith most likely leaving next year. Well, he would definitely leave if Camille Mack came here, Khalil Mack. If he doesn't, then maybe Preston Smith turns into a lighter version of Mack. A B or C version of Mack. Uh, I don't know. Um, I I agree. I think you've summed up all the points, all right. which leads us into Josh and Nate rant time. Rant time. The final. I'm gonna, I want you to lead off. You want me to lead off? Mine's a little weak this week, uh, but we're gonna call these our final thoughts, our closing statements. Um, I'm again. This is a weak one. I'm really tired of stupid takes. And here's what I mean by stupid takes. And this goes back to me sitting at the game yesterday with my dad. Somebody from behind me, and I don't know who because I don't engage, screams out after Harper misplays two balls in center field, Michael Taylor would have caught that. Yes, he would have. He would have also struck out three times. It's not a viable argument. It's a stupid take. And you're screaming it two stories up. Manager can't hear you. I just that stuff bothers me. I used to do it at Redskin games, but I was like twelve beers deep, and I'd be screaming at Joe Gibbs or wasn't North Turner. I was too young then. But North, you know, uh, whoever it was, Mike Shanahan, Steve Spurrier, Jim Zorn, Jim Zorn. Oh God, Jim Zorn. Uh, but you know, another thing, Michael Taylor should be starting. And I heard somebody say this: Michael Taylor should be starting, and Adam Eaton and Juan Soto should be platooning. Really? Let me see your credentials, baseball scout. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Michael A. Taylor's a 225 hitter. The game is driven by offense. He's amazing defensively. It's a stupid take. Then somebody says, although you said this already, after Harper made another error, this is why, they should bench Bryce. He's like the third best hitter in baseball since the All-Star game. So that's a stupid take, huh? That's a stupid take. And one other thing, it was a bloop hit. There There was a lot to be upset about yesterday. There was a bloop hit over Murphy's head, but it was in pretty deep in the center field, and the outfield was playing deep. It's a hit, base hit. And this guy goes, these guys aren't trying. They suck. I'm like, it, pick any other play. And yes, you're right. Not that one. It's a blue pit in the center field. It's in no man's land. They can't do anything with it. I'm so sick of stupid takes. And this whole podcast might be a stupid take, but it's my stupid take. I'm sick of other people's stupid takes. Do you blame them, though? No! I'm, At least they're showing signs of life. Hey, man. Hey, they're fighting each other. 
We're a young, we're a young baseball town. I love the passion. I just, it's hard enough when my internal monologue is going nuts watching this to hear other people's internal monologue out loud because it, it must be therapeutic for them or whatever. I'm just tired of it. I, I and it was only one game, but it used to be like that when you go to Nationals Phillies games in 2011 when Worth first came and Phillies would take over the ballpark and man I don't want to turn into that fan base well let's not ever forget Jason Worth flicking us off with his World Series ring I remember that too I also remember story for another day you giving Jeff Francoeur hitting tips He's and him acknowledging you right that was back when you could get tickets really close really cheap that's right and you told him you needed more top hands so it's basically going to be like September absolutely right I think we should go to a bunch of games that's fine. Maybe we'll do the podcast from a game. I like that. Rant over. I actually don't have a rant this week. I have a more purposeful question for next week for people to think about. Okay. Can I answer it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. I think, and I think we're in a really weird sports year here. Um, I think that with the Capitals winning, it really messed with the feng shui of everything. <laughs> but here we are. Sitting, talking about the Redskins. And what are we talking about? We're talking about actual players, whether or not they're going to be impactful, what the offense is going to do, who's going to return kicks. The Nationals have become the show that the Redskins were. And, like, that should be an absolute embarrassment to the Nationals organization. Because you're, all you see is stories about how the clubhouse is. We're not even talking about the Redskins' name. That's how bizarre it is. And can I tell you how much it pisses me off when I go on ESPN to read stuff and I see everybody's friggin' name? Panthers. Falcons. And then Washington. Like, come on. If they're going to do that... Uh-huh. Notice... <laughs> I bet you you didn't even notice it. No, I've noticed it. That's absurd. A lot of guys are like the Washington football team. Right. Now, get out of here. Yeah, I'm not going to get into where I land on the name debate today. That's for a slow week when we want to yell at each other because I think you and I are on slightly opposite ends of it. But if you're going to do that to the Redskins, you got to do it to the Chiefs. Oh, it has to and be across the board. You go to baseball, Indians. Cleveland Indians. Their mascot. Chief Wahoo? Try, yeah. That guy's super racist. <laughs> he totally is. Um, no, I agree with you. I, I You're right. The Redskins have been no drama, which, how many years can we say that? You know who offends me? Mr. Matt. I don't like this stupid smile on his face. giant head. And his wife is ugly as hell. Um, (laughs) That's an episode title. You know who offends me? Mr. Matt. Oh, we forgot to say. At least we're not the Mets. Um, Although, I don't know right now. Anyway. The Nationals, um, yeah, they're drama-free. I think you're you're right. The, The Capitals kind of put us into a bizarre world where expectations are like, whoa, wait a minute, we can be happy? We can win things? I think you're absolutely right. I think that's something to ponder. The I mean, Na- I, think it happened with an, I think it happened with the Wizards. I think when Wall was out and you had Gortat out there talking about, oh, everybody's getting scoops of ice cream. And I'll tell you this, and everybody can disagree with me here, and they're gonna, it's going to get, if we had more than two listeners, it would get taken out of context. I, the Wizards are not a better team without John Wall, but it was more fun to watch the Wizards play without him because the ball there was actual ball movement the more team game it'll be interesting to see what they do this year with Dwight Howard um, finally having like a big presence in the center I mean it could be in an ideal world they just run pick and rolls and he 
runs over everybody. And you got two guards that's that can not shoot gonna, it on the outside. It's not, not going to work out that no. way. <laughs> Probably not. Um, yeah, it's... But I think the Caps totally change expectations. And I think the Nationals have so underperformed based on what their expectations were. And for the first time this year, I don't think Davey survives. I think that the learners come down and they tell Mike Rizzo, we're going to eat $1.8 million. That's what we owe him for two more years. Fresh start. We're going to have a, a pretty big overturn. They've got 10 free agents next year. They're going to have a pretty... They're going to have a... what? What's that? 40% new people coming in? And you could be losing your superstar, Bryce Harper. I think they're going to say... we. It, it's getting to the Matt Williams point in 2015 where it's like, you don't recover from this. I don't know if they continue trending like this. I was somewhat expecting, anticipating today after the loss they had this week, this weekend, yesterday, but also losing the series, losing two of, of seven, losing going two and five in seven games. I was almost expecting that Davey was going to be fired today. Why not? Right. I if if I was Mike Rizzo, I would be metaphorically running into the stock market floor. <laughs> Going, sell, sell everything. Mortimer, Mortimer, sell it. Just like a trading place. Yep. Right. Sell it all. Yeah. I. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm. I'm so interested to see where the Nats will be in a week. Um, questions that are out there. We've talked about. Will Bryce be a Nat in a week? Murphy. Will Davey Martinez be a Nat in a week? If they get swept by the Phillies, do they go to New York with interim manager Chip Hale? How, as a fan, would you be able to stomach status quo the rest of the year? Literally, nothing happens. They don't even they don't even deal Murphy. I, I wouldn't be able to. And they're also pinning a lot of their enthusiasm to this series. They're facing the Phillies. They've got their three big horses going: Roark, Strasburg, Scherzer. Anything less than them, the Nats sweeping the Phillies. Should be a disappointment based on the desperation of this that's needed for this team. If they go one and two or get swept, it's blow up time. And I'm talking full blow up time. And I hate doing that. I don't believe in firing managers in in season, but it might be they should have fired Matt Williams in the in season 2015 after the Papelbon choking game. They should have sent Papelbon home for the rest of the of the year, and they should have fired Matt Williams because he had clearly lost a clubhouse. It doesn't sound like, at least from reports right now, that Davey has lost the clubhouse. But I think a week from now, or even after Thursday's day game, if you don't see a drastic turnaround in performance, I think it might be time to pull the cord on the whole thing. I do have one final rant. Okay. I swear to you, if I see this, the friggin' Nats Instagram account, show a picture of Bryce Harper and be like, let me see your goat emojis. Like, are you just appealing? I, I assume that they just assume that most of their fans are idiots. Like, goat and Bryce Harper should not even be in the same... Instagram's not geared towards us, though, bud. I know you're on Instagram. I am too, but I know that you're on it. It's not... Is re- it the Millennials? We're millennials, technically. No, you are. I'm not. No, you are. Anything after 1980. You're an idiot. That was uncalled for. Um, but no, it's. I think it's geared towards younger people. Yeah, well, not younger us. people are idiots. I think that's a good place to leave it. Younger people are idiots. Should that be the episode title? I don't know. 
Well, I'll think about it. You should, because you're younger. Not by much. Well, think about it. Think about it, H.I. Anyway, we're going to sign off. We'll see you next week, Monday night. Have a wonderful week. You too, Josh. You know what? I enjoyed it. I always love talking to you. You have a wonderful week too. You too. And I assume that the no-hitter's already gone.